0: Brooklyn.
1: Man, we're not ashamed of the gospel, and that's why we are gathered here together this morning. Just want to say welcome to those who are joining with us there online. Uh, We'll share some things with you in just a moment. Uh, If you're one of our deacons, we want to encourage you in just a moment after I finish this welcome. uh, We'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper. If you're here this morning and you did not get one of the cups, uh, go ahead and raise your hand, and I'm sure one of the ushers will be be glad to come around and to give you. Uh, But if you'll just raise your hand, they'll be glad to come and give that to you. So I see one over here. There's some over here. Uh, Raise those hands high. They'll come through, and they'll give you some. Keep them up so they can see. (laughs) Right here. All right, well, those who are online, we want to say welcome there on Facebook and on Twitter at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma. So be sure to look us up on those, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Give us the thumbs up, give us the hearts, give us the likes, uh, and be sure to share. Uh, Sharing is just another way to invite people, and you can do that every Sunday morning. Even if you're here in person, open those apps, click those, and uh, that's just another way for you to invite people to come. Also, we want to welcome those who are there on our phone live streaming. Uh, If you need that number, please call the church office at 931-455-0645. We'll be glad to give that number to you uh, so that you can be able to join us there on the phone live streaming. Uh, If you're at home, also encourage you to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download today's worship bulletin. If you didn't get one of these, I'd encourage you to get one before you leave. Uh, today. Uh, We also have our children's worship bulletins that are under that same tab. And if you need those in person, they're in the windowsill over here to my right. Uh, So be sure to pick up those uh, before you leave also. And then we'll talk more about giving and about our missions emphasis uh, a little while later. But just want to say glad to have you with us uh, this morning and welcome to worship. We're going to begin our worship service uh, this morning with uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, So if deacons, you would go ahead and make your way and come forward We'll be glad to serve you. Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to partake of it humbly and sincerely. Uh, And we're also to examine our hearts before we partake of the Lord's Supper that we might partake of it in a worthy manner. So we want to take just a moment here this morning as we begin our Lord's Supper uh, ceremony to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. So if you would, just bow your heads in prayer, and let's go before the Lord. And I'm going to ask Rick, if he will, to lead us in a prayer of examination of our hearts. And Luke in his gospel tells us that when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And the Bible tells us that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would peel that top layer off and that'll expose your bread there for you to partake of. And I'm going to ask brother Ken if he will to bless the partaking of the bread. Jesus said, Take ye, do this in remembrance of me. Luke also tells us that he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Brother Mark, would you bless the partaking of the produce? You can take that tab and pull it back gently, and that'll open up the juice there for you. And Jesus said, This is my blood, which is given for the remission of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And the Gospels also tell us that when they left the upper room uh, that night, Uh, They sang hymns as they left, and so we want to sing, Bless Be the Tide. So if you would, let's stand, and we will sing, Bless Be the Tide. The mic, if you'll come and lead us in our song. <laughs> 441.
2: Four forty-one.
1: I don't know where I have everything, actually. So this is not our missionaries of the week that are on the screen, so I'm not even sure if I have the correct video (laughs) up there uh, for today. So uh, is there a video for Golden Offering coming up? Okay. (laughs) All right. So I obviously didn't get the picture changed here and fixed here. But our missionaries of the week are Derek and Kayla Sheffrey. They're in your bulletin. Uh, they are serving in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, they're in Denver, Colorado, uh, where there are about 4.8 million people uh, within that metro area. And so we want to uplift them this morning in our prayers. And hopefully this is the right video uh, that I have this morning on disaster relief. Okay, prayerfully watch this video.
3: You know, our town was in trouble, our town was hit. And we just went right into our DR mode and started calling people. We called um, several other teams, Butch Porch and Michael Renfro, and they were here within an hour, two hours. And we started right then and there moving debris and moving trees and cutting trees.
4: Well, God is a redeemer, and He wastes nothing but redeems everything, and, and He's redeemed this. As horrible as it was that day, the horror of it is unparalleled. 20 people lost their lives. We lost both of our schools, our elementary and our middle school. 700 houses impacted, families displaced, businesses destroyed, livelihoods gone. But if anything can surpass it, it's the love we've seen that people have shown, the love of God through this, the great miracles He's done, the souls saved, the the hope given, And, uh, and so much of that has come through DR. We've had numerous volunteers come and give so much, but we've had DR come and stay. And I gotta say, as a pastor, even that first week, trying to offer hope but not knowing what the future looked like for our town, being able to promise to them DR was coming, that gave me hope. And that gave me something I could give them, that don't worry, DR is coming. There's gonna be a sea of yellow hats. The Baptists are coming.
3: And disaster relief, there's a job for everybody. You know, you think of disaster relief as the chainsaw and the, the muck out and the mud out, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes that are making it work. Two of the biggest things that we need in disaster relief are time and finances. We need people's time. We need to be a part of your prayer time and then we need your time to be boots on the ground to help us through this situation. Because of your generous giving through the cooperative program and the Golden Offering, we're able to offer disaster relief when something tragic happens to really get in there and help the survivors.
1: and that is just one of the ministries that the golden offering for tennessee mission supports Uh, that was waverly tennessee where most of that destruction happened there and so we continue to serve there our disaster relief teams uh, continue to be boots on the ground there as well as across other places in our state we know that there are the potential of hurricanes coming up this uh, coming week uh, and we do get deployed our state units due to other states Uh, also to help them with their disasters as they come to help us with our disasters. So I want to encourage you to pray about giving to the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. You can find out more about that in those little brochures that are in the pews around you there. You can also uh, go back to our Facebook page there and watch a little bit more about some of the other ministries. But let's go to the Lord in prayer for disaster relief, our Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions, and Derek and Kayla Shaffrey. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once again for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your loving kindness today for being with us. Father, we thank you for uh, just making yourself known in every aspect uh, of our lives. And Father, I pray that as you continue to make yourself known to us, make known to us, Lord, your will. Uh, about what you would have us to do with the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions, uh, in our giving, that we might give towards that offerings. Uh, that In our prayers, we might remember each one of these ministries, especially disaster relief, uh, in our prayers and those who have been affected by the disasters across Tennessee and potentially uh, this upcoming week. Lord, keep people safe, and we just pray, God, that you will use these things as as opportunities to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. But we also pray, Lord, for Derek and Kayla Sheffrey, who are serving there uh, in the Denver metro area. We pray Your hand a blessing upon them as they continue to plant the church. You've called them there to plant. We pray, God, that You will bless them in a great and mighty way. They're opening opportunities for them to share the gospel in many unique and different ways. And we pray for all of our missionaries uh, across the United States and around the world, uh, Lord, that You will protect them. Uh, that you will keep them safe, and, Lord, that you will bless them and help them to be prosperous in all the work that they are doing for your kingdom's sake. Bless them as they're gathered in, in services like we are this morning, and we just pray, God, that you will encourage us in our hearts, bless us that we might be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, As was said, there will be some announcements at the very end, but just want to remind you, uh, you can do your online giving there on the church website at hollandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab, and you can designate there also for the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions uh, as well as for our budget offering. So just wanted to remind you that if you're here in person, uh, you can use the offering envelopes in the pews in front of you and place those in the offering as you leave this morning. Brother Mike.
2: Our next hymn, Hymn 60, if you want to use your books, and I promise I won't take as many liberties on uh, holding pauses and emphasis on like I did last time. Miss Pat does a good job watching me because the pauses aren't written that way. It's I'm a product of my learning. Two Charleses, Charles Williams and Charles Saunders. Y'all sing with us, Hymn 60, Miss Pat. Hymn. Uh, This next hymn comes out of the old Baptist hymnals, but it's not in our book. So uh, the choir has an advantage today because they have a sheet that's got the notes on it. But please stand with us as we sing The Light of the World is Jesus. Pat?
1: It's good to see those kids going over there to Children's Church. Uh, be in prayer for Pastor Matt and his family. They're out of town uh, this week. And uh, I just got back in myself last night from Elizabeth and Got to do a wedding for a couple who w- we've known since they were preschoolers. Uh, and they knew each other uh, as preschoolers. And so it was just amazing to be a part of that up in Elizabethan uh, yesterday and to get back in this evening. Take your Bibles, if you will. Uh, And turn to John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. The title you see on uh, the bulletin for this morning will actually be tonight's message. Uh, Last week we had our business meeting uh, Sunday night, and so I did not preach this message uh, that I had had on my schedule to preach. And so uh, we forgot to get that updated for the bulletin this morning. We just pushed each one back. Uh, a service. So, uh, John chapter eight, verse thirty-one to verse thirty-two, where it actually was to be uh, the the entire uh, part from where we left off last week, from verse twelve all the way to verse fifty-one. But really, these two verses are really the the crux, the climax, if you will. Uh, of this whole entire passage and so that's where I really want us to focus this morning is on verse 31 and verse 32 as I've entitled this message hashtag truth uh, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is truth we talked about grace and truth last week we'll talk more about that in just a moment but let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word John chapter 8 and verse 31. so jesus said to the jews who had believed him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free let's pray heavenly father thank you for your word this morning and that as we saw last week about grace and truth there must be A balance in our hearts and in our lives. So bless us this morning, Lord, as we look at this passage. I pray that you will help us to understand and to see more about your truth and how it applies to our lives. Lord, I pray that when we leave this morning, uh, we will be clearer in our thoughts, we'll be bolder in our walk with you. And Father, I pray that we will stand on the promises and the truth of the word of God throughout our lives. I pray that if there are those who are here this morning who've never trusted in Jesus. their Lord and their Savior, may they turn this morning, Lord, to receive the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and come to know Him as their Lord and their Savior. So bless this passage this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You can be seated. You know, we're living in a culture today that either can't handle the truth or in some cases, mishandles the truth, and in other cases, doesn't want to handle uh, the truth. That's even true when it comes to the church. Uh, Eighty percent of Americans agree with this statement in a survey that was done that said this, an individual should arrive at his or her own religious beliefs independent of any church or synagogue. The author of that study concluded that the most fundamental belief in American culture is that that moral truth comes down to whatever we think it is and whatever we believe it is. So he went on to say our culture has no problem with a God of love who supports us regardless of how we live or conduct ourselves. But if there is no room for a God who punishes people for wrong beliefs and wrong behavior. Uh, you, You know, last week we talked about grace and truth, and we tended to focus a little bit more on the area of grace. Now, by the way, someone asked me this, and, and I wanted to share just briefly because uh, about what grace is. You, you can open your Bible and, and get a concordance and look up all the occurrences of grace in the Bible. There's 131 uses of the word grace uh, in the English Standard Version, 124 of those are in the New Testament, 86 of those which come in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Uh, which means two-thirds of all the uses of the word grace in the Bible are in one author, uh, Paul. And it's no wonder that he's called the apostle of grace. On the one hand, grace is called undeserved favor. Uh, And and we could spend a whole message uh, on just that. But the point is, is that grace is what inclines God to give gifts that are free and undeserved by sinners and that you can't work to earn grace. It's free and it's undeserved. So Paul, he also uses, though, the word grace in another way in the Bible, which seems to picture grace as a power or an influence for obedience. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Uh, There's another place that Paul uses it in that same way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. When Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And in those texts, and that's not the only ones, uh, grace is not only a character trait, Uh, or a quality or an inclination in the nature of God, but it's also an influence or a force or a power or an acting of God that works in us to change our capacities for work and suffering and obedience. So in other words, the word grace in Paul's use not only refers to God's character, trait and inclination to give us an undeserved favor to treat people better than they deserve, But the word grace also refers to that action and that power uh, or the influence of that force of the character trait which produces a real uh, practical outcome in our lives, like being sufficient for for good deeds or maybe like with Paul, enduring that thorn in the flesh. Uh, And and Paul even uses uh, that same word uh, talking about his own apostolic work. And so uh, let me read you another verse uh, that we maybe never thought of uh, in this term of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, This, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And that's a throne. Uh, with the quality and the character and the inclination to treat people better than they deserve, an undeserved favor. And, And that's the kind of throne that we come to. But it also says this in that verse, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so that's incredibly encouraging uh, that God's grace is both that character of grace that treats us better than we deserve, but it's also the extension of that inclination in a practical help to empower us to live as Christ would have us to live. And like I said, we could spend a whole message just on that. But today's message is going to focus on that other aspect. Because as we talked about last week, we need to be balanced with those uh, two, with, with grace and with truth. And so this is going to focus on the truth. Grace without truth is liberalism. Truth without grace is legalism. But, the grace, but grace and truth both should be balanced, and we saw that last week in the life of Jesus, that he demonstrated that in, in both ways. When there was the woman who was caught in adultery, he extends and shows grace, something she didn't deserve, but he also says to her, here's the truth you sinned, go and sin no more. And so he demonstrated both there, and that's the way our lives should be. And so when it comes to ourselves, as we said last week, we tend to lean towards grace more often. But when it comes to others, uh, when it comes to ourselves, we lean toward grace. When it comes to others, we tend to lean more towards truth. With Jesus, that grace and that truth was perfectly balanced. And so understand, he never shared grace at the expense of truth, and he never spoke truth. At the expense of grace. It was always balanced. And I shared with you last week why we needed to be balanced, uh, and, and we looked at that grace side of the scales uh, more than the true side. So today we want to focus on that true side of the scales to help us to be balanced. Now remember, John said this about Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 14. He said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. There in that passage, uh, we see that. And so anybody who has studied the life of Jesus could easily admit that he was full of grace. But we see there, as we see demonstrated in his life, he he was also full of truth. In this passage, this whole section here, from verse 12 all the way to verse 51, is a conversation that Jesus is having. And the, the primary aspect of it is about Truth. Uh, Jesus is having this conversation with some people who needed to hear the truth about truth. Uh, and we're only going to look at these two verses uh, in this very long conversation because in two sentences, Jesus tells us a book full of truth about truth. Notice these two verses one more time. Let's read these verses again. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Like we said last week, Jesus said there's, there's such a thing as truth, uh, not just a truth, but the truth. Uh, there's a truth with a little t, and there's a truth with a big t. Uh, There's earthly truth that is true, uh, but not life-changing. But there's eternal truth that's powerful and can take a person from darkness to life, from death to life. And and so for the very first time as we live here in in our history of our nation, we're living in a society that rejects the notion of absolute truth. Our society believes there are no absolute truths, and that truth is relative. Uh, There was a recent poll that found that 70%, about 70% of all adults believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. And even worse than that, People who attend evangelical churches, this study found, which by definition are churches that believe that the Bible is the word of God and its content is reliable and true, are as likely to reject the existence of absolute moral truth as they are to accept it. Overall, here's what they found in the study. 52% of evangelicals don't believe in an absolute truth that comes from God and applies to everyone. Well, understand this. If there's no such thing as truth, then that has a huge, huge implication for where we are today. In fact, if if there's no such thing as truth, then Jesus wasn't a great teacher, and he was either a liar or a fool because here's what he said in John chapter 18 and verse 37. He said, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In our generation, uh, we have to pass on to the next generation the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, in, in, In one single statement here, Jesus tells us the truth about the truth. And there's three things I want you to get from this passage this morning. Here's the first, is that we have to affirm the truth. We have to affirm the truth. Go back to verse 32 and let's just look at that first part of verse 32. So listen carefully to what Jesus says in in verse 32. He says, "And you will know the truth." Now, Jesus didn't say you will know a truth, because that could be any truth. He says, "You will know the truth." In other words, what he's saying there is Jesus says there's truth that's absolute, truth that is unchanging... Truth that is real uh, that we can know isn't some social construct and and it's not subject to the whims of, of different thinking at different times and different ages. There are truths that are true for everyone at every place and at every time. And what we find from God's Word is you can know the truth. Understand that sin isn't the only reason that Jesus came into the world. It was truth that brought Jesus into the world. Listen again to the verse we read a while ago in John 18, verse 37. Jesus was speaking to Pontius Pilate uh, when he said, You say that I'm a king, but you remember what Jesus said there? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to do what? To bear witness to the truth. So, where is this truth found? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us wondering where this truth is found. Uh, We don't have to wonder. He tells us in John chapter seventeen and verse seventeen, he says, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This Bible is truth." And so Jesus says that God's word is the ultimate, absolute truth, and it has to be, because if if it's the word of God, then it's what God says. And what God says is true. He can never speak a lie uh, because God can't lie. Uh, God doesn't say something because it's true. A thing is true because God says it is. So let me tell you why that's important. Without truth, without lasting morality, uh, without truth, lasting morality is impossible because without an unchanging standard of truth, that can only come from an unchanging god then right and wrong just becomes a matter of your personal opinion if something is morally right it has to be morally right for everyone if something is morally wrong it has to be morally wrong for everyone that's so important that you cannot miss it if the ultimate if ultimate truth comes from God, it can never change because God never changes. He doesn't change on a whim because if he did, we'd never know, well, what is the truth, God? What should I be doing? What should I not be doing? What's he say today should be the truth? He has to not, he doesn't change. And so if truth comes from God, it can never be untruthful because God can't lie. If truth comes from God, the truth can never be wrong because God is never wrong. But if truth is what I manufacture it to be, if truth is what I think it is, and maybe you think it's something different, then wrong can change at a moment's notice. Uh, There's a story that was told about Albert Einstein, uh, who was giving a physics exam, uh, and after the exam was handed out, uh, the student said to him, he said, "Uh, Dr. Einstein, the question on this year's exams are the same questions from last year's exam.'" To which Albert Einstein replied, replied, that's okay, the answers this year are different. That's the way physics is. (laughs) But here's the thing. What is truly truth never changes. Truth that's absolute never becomes obsolete. It, It may be out of fashion. It may be out of favor, it may be out of friends, but it's never out of date. Truth is always true, no matter what century it is, because date doesn't have any effect on truth. Truth that is absolute never becomes Obsolete. What was true a million years ago, it'll be true a million years from now. When you look at the Bible, homosexuality was wrong 2,000 years ago, it'll be wrong 2,000 years from now. Abortion was murdered 2,000 years ago, it'll be murdered 2,000 years from now. Adultery was sinful 2,000 years ago, it'll be sinful 2,000 years from now. And some of you may be thinking, I'm glad he didn't mention mine. I'm not in one of those. But listen to this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to verse 21, right before we get the word of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul tells us, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Then he starts stepping on some toes. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. You ever had those? Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Ever experienced divisions? Envy. You ever envied someone else? Drunkenness, orgies, and the things like. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives us a list there of sins. But know this, that's not an exhaustive list. The Bible says that lust and gluttony, ooh, stepped on the preacher's feet. <laughs> Greed, excessive laziness, wrath, anger, envy, pride, all of those are sin. First John chapter five verse 17 says, "All wrongdoing is sin. And James says this in James chapter four, lest you think you got out of those. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, "Whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. All those things were sin 2,000 years ago, and they will be sin 2,000 years from now truth isn't just unending it is also universal because what is true isn't only true yesterday today and forever but it's true for you and it's true for me and it's true for all of us there isn't one truth for you as lay people and a different truth for me as a pastor we are all to understand that the truth is for all of us what many try to do today is to give truth a makeover, if you will. But that's true, that truth that's made over is simply a lie with makeup. But understand that if truth goes out the window, that is not just morality that goes out the window, it's also justice that goes out with it. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to, to, to be a witness uh, to testify in a court of law, but if you ever have to, uh, you'll remember, and you've maybe even seen this before, that you have to swear what? To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Why? Because without truth, there can be no justice. Because justice is to be based on truth. Jesus not only said that there's absolute truth that you can know, he also said that you can absolutely know the truth. He said you will. That's what he says there in verse 32. You will know the truth. You you see, there's a school of thought today that, that doesn't necessarily deny truth. It just simply says, well, you can't know the truth. My question is, what good is truth that you can't know? And incidentally, that very statement that you can't know truth is a truth in itself, and if you can't know truth, you can't even know whether that statement is true or not. The reality is, is that the God of truth has not only given us the reality of truth, but he has graced us with the ability to know the truth. Jesus said this in John 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So why is all this so important? For this reason. Because morality and justice and right or wrong are all based on the reality of truth and the ability to know truth. And and so if something is wrong, it has to be wrong because it doesn't measure up to what is right. But what is right has to be based on a standard of unchanging truth. Or else one can just determine whether or not it's right or wrong. And that's why there's been such an effort over the years to to remove God and the Bible from society and even from schools. Because if you take truth out of life and God out of life then you can become your own God that determines your own truth, and you can determine yourself what is right and what is wrong. And then we can just go back to the end of the book of Judges where every person does what's right in their own eyes. So we have to affirm the truth. Secondly, we have to
0: accept
1: the truth. Notice what else Jesus said in the beginning part verse 32 there he not only said you will know the truth he says you will know so that word "know" doesn't just mean this to know in your mind it means to accept it into your heart so here's where the real battle begins because we need to affirm that there is truth and it's one thing to know that truth is in your head but it's a totally different thing to accept that truth Into your heart. And that's where the battle rages so often in our culture today. And I don't have to tell you that the buzzword of the day today isn't truth, the buzzword is tolerance. Uh, We're to be tolerant of the actions of others even if we believe they're morally wrong. We're to be tolerant of the attitudes of others even if we think they are socially destructive. We're to be tolerant of the assertions anyone makes, even if we can prove that those assertions are wrong according to the truth. We're to be... uh, So I want to make it very clear here. When it comes to the way we treat other persons personally, we should never be intolerant. We should never be bigoted. We should never be arrogant. I want to read something to you that a man by the name of Bishop Fulton Sheen wrote... Bishop Sheen was at one time, besides the Pope himself, one of the most well-known Catholics in the world. He had a radio ministry, and later on he had a television ministry that was watched by over 30 million people. He was one of the leading Catholic theologians of his day. And here's what he wrote. He said, tolerance applies only to persons, but never to truth. Intolerance applies only to truth, but never to persons. Tolerance, he says, applies to the erring, intolerance to the error. Listen to what else he says. He says tolerance applies only to the persons, but never to truth or principles. About these things we must be intolerant, he says. Right is right, even if nobody, even if nobody is right. He said wrong is wrong, even if everybody's wrong. In, in this day... And this age, he said, we need not a church that is right when the world is right, but a church that is right when the world is wrong. And I could not agree more. You know when he wrote those words? 1931. Wow. Almost a century ago. Today, principled conviction has been replaced by political correctness. The truth, has been silenced by the muzzle of tolerance, and yet intolerance is really a great thing. Because think about it. There is no room for tolerance in the chemical laboratory. You ever thought about that? Formulas have to be followed rigorously when you're mixing chemicals together, or you could blow everything up. There's no room for tolerance in mathematics. I mean, think about it, whether you're an engineer or or you're at NASA or you're an architect of a building, uh, the calculus and the trigonometry uh, had better be exactly right or some astronaut may not get back or the building may collapse. There's no room for tolerance, shouldn't be, in sports. (laughs) Every game is supposed to be played according to the rules, supposed to be, and, and everybody's supposed to play. By the rules. That's why you have referees. That's why you have umpires. That's why you have line judges. Uh, yet, yet we're told that when it comes to the great moral issues uh, of our day, you ought to be tolerant. Well, I make no, no apologies whether we're talking about salvation or sexuality or marriage or morality or disparity or poverty or what is right and what is wrong. The word isn't tolerance, the word ought to be truth. I believe that everyone has the right to believe whatever they want to believe and to say whatever they want to believe. Everybody's entitled to their own beliefs, but not to their own truths. And get this, believing something doesn't make it true. Belief isn't what ultimately matters. Truth is what ultimately matters. So by believing something is true, that doesn't make it true. I preach from the Bible. Uh, I preach uh, because it's not that I believe it's true. I believe it and preach it because it is true. It's not based on my belief. Uh, You know why people are so anxious to deny the reality of truth? If you deny the reality of truth, you really deny the reality of God. Because think about it, if something is absolute, then it's free from any kind of error, free from any kind of imperfection, free from any kind of flaw. To say there are no absolutes is to say there is no God because God is the ultimate absolute. Because God in his character and in his being has no error, has no imperfection, has no flaw, has no limit. He's the altogether absolute one and only. So to reject any absolute is to reject the supreme absolute. But to go even further, when you deny the truth, you're also denying the word of God. Remember that Jesus said that truth is found in God's Word. He said that in John 17, 17. Your Word is truth. So if you deny truth, then you have to deny God's Word. Also, if you deny truth, you're also denying the Son of God. Because what did he say in John 14 and verse 6? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me why is all of this so dangerous because when you take away the god of the word you take away the word of god you take away the only objective basis of morality and purity and holiness because without god and the bible right and wrong as we said earlier becomes just a matter of personal opinion without god and the bible everybody can be right and everybody can be wrong and nobody can be right And nobody can be wrong. Uh, Also, in in this totally relativistic world, uh, who who can say one creature uh, has greater worth than another? Or even that one human has greater worth uh, than an animal? Uh, If there's no absolute truth, it's logical that activists uh, fight for the rights of an endangered baby seal uh, while not even blinking an eye at the abortion of an unborn baby. Uh, The problem with most people isn't finding the truth, The problem with most of us is in facing the truth. Jesus says you will, you must know, not just here, but here in the heart, the truth. Not just to affirm that there's truth, but more importantly to accept the truth. Here's the last and final point I want you to get. And this is is where it all comes down to. This is the most important. We have to apply the truth. Because in order to know the truth, the real truth, you have to know the one who is truth. You have to know Jesus. Jesus said this in verse 31. Remember what he said? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. To hold to the teachings of Jesus means that you live it. You put it into action. It's not just enough to learn about the truth... It's not enough even to look for truth. Uh, If truth is going to do in you and for you what it was meant to do, you have to live by the truth. Truth is useless, even if you believe it, if you don't live by it, and if you don't apply it to your life. Truth isn't just, as we said, for the head. Truth is for the heart. The mind learns truth, the heart loves truth, and the will lives the truth. And that's what's meant to know the truth, and that's what Jesus meant when he went on to say this in verse 32. Remember verse 32? He said, and you will know the truth, and what's the last phrase? And the truth will set you free. It's interesting uh, that the word absolute comes from two Latin words, the word ab, meaning from, and the word sovereign, meaning to set free. The word absolute literally means to set free from. And that's the purpose of truth, to set us free. You know, There are many uh, who may be listening to this message. You may be in the chains and the shackles of sin, but you don't want to admit it. Some may be in the bondage of anger. In bitterness, others are chained with lust. Some of you are locked in a a jail of jealousy or in a prison of pride. And there's only one key that can unlock that door of your heart and set you free. And that is the key of truth. You see, there are four truths that will set you free from any prison that you might be in. First of all and foremost, there's the truth about salvation. The absolute truth is that anybody can be saved by God's grace and their faith in Him. It's a gift, and anybody can have it. That's the first truth that can set you free. Secondly, there's the truth about sin. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us need to be saved. That's the second truth that can set you free. There is also the truth about self. You no longer have to be controlled by you. The old you can die and be replaced by the new you because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. But here's the fourth thing that can set you free about truth. There's the truth about Satan here's the truth you need to realize and many of us even as Christians need to remember and recall and remember and realize in our own lives Satan can no longer have dominion over you you don't have to go back to the bondage of sin even, even Paul talks about that why, why can Satan no longer have dominion over you because of what John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 he says little children you are from God and have overcome them For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's talking about the devil. God is greater than the devil. And once you know the truth about sin, then you'll realize that it's sin that's the cause of all of our problems. Sin is, if you will, the warden of all of our prisons. Once you learn the truth that on your own you'll never get out of that prison that you're in and there's no escape patch and you don't even have the key anyway. Once you learn the truth about the Savior and that Jesus is the only one who can unlock the prison door you're in, the only one who can redeem you from any, tr- any sin, that's the truth that will set you free. Jesus said, I am the truth. And the only way you'll ever know the truth is to know Jesus, who is the truth. When you come to truly know him personally, he will set you free. And that is the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth that we have seen in this passage. Lord, so often we tend to lean so heavily on grace because we're so often looking at ourselves and we want to judge ourselves with a lot of grace and mercy. And that is well and right. But We also need to do that for others, not judging them with truth and no grace. Father, I pray that we would have that balance in our life that Jesus shows us here and that we would realize and recognize that this area of truth that we so often we, we tend to want to shy away from it because truth that is absolute means then there may be some changes that need to be made in my life to get me in line with the truth of the Word of God. Father, there may be those who are here this morning and they've realized, I don't know the truth. I don't know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I need to come and do that this morning. Father, I pray they would call out to you and say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on that cross. I believe he was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray they'll come to publicly profess that faith in Christ this morning. Father, there are many who may be here, many who may be listening online, that they're in some kind of prison of, uh, of, of, of some sin in their life. And Lord, there's such a long list. We could spend the whole day going through those things. Lord, reveal those sinful things in our hearts, whether it's a, an action we've committed, or whether it's a thought that we've had, or, or Lord, maybe it's something that we didn't do we should have done. Reveal those things to us in the light of your truth. And help us to realize, Lord, when we are out of the path of righteousness and father i pray that we would do the same thing in our lives we would come in all repentance to say god forgive me forgive me lord for not believing in the truth of your word that moral absolute truth that's the same yesterday today and forever and father i pray that when we be- when we do that and we be- we begin to always come back to your word may you use that lord to guide us as a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. Lord, that you would use your word to to keep us in that path of righteousness from, from straying to the left or to the right, whether we like it or not. And Lord, I pray that we would always keep ourselves in the center of your will, doing all you would have us to do, being all you would have us to be, showing others grace and truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, open my eyes that I may see. Will you come this morning in this invitation, uh, whether it's for church membership or to receive Christ as your Savior. Brother Mike, if you'll come. seated. Brother Bradley's going to come and give our announcements. Uh, Ushers and deacons don't forget we'll be taking our love offering for the benevolence offering uh, after we dismiss in
0: prayer. The meeting uh, right after church, I'm
4: assuming in the conference room That's where it'll be. It's not long. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff
1: in the bulletin. I do want to point out that the men's breakfast is coming up October 15th. We have a special guest, John Olive, speaking for us. So uh, just get with Matt. If you do want to come in help join, bring a guest, please. It was fun the last time we had him. So uh, we really get a blessing out of it. So I think that's it. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this rain today. We thank you for the sunshine behind the rain. We just take this message and take it throughout this week. Just be with us as we go to work. Go our workplaces
0: go to see who we need to see. In your name I pray. Amen.